You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And on day number 100 of the baseball lockout, it is over. Coming to you plausibly live from, of all places, Vegas, baby. Courtside at the Pac-12 basketball tournament when the happy news came down. Two years ago to the date, I was courtside at the same tournament in the same arena, I think in the same chair, when we all learned that COVID was a thing and all of sports was getting canceled. Now here we are feeling very differently as things open up as opposed to shutting on down. You guys excited? Want to go see Cirque du Soleil or Carrot Top to celebrate? I can get us discount tickets. Mets in the Morning is back, and it is next. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing. Now, here's Josh Lewin. You know, I just also remembered as the song was playing the last time the Mets made the World Series. There was a spring training series here in Vegas the following spring. It was all about Chris Bryant's homecoming to his hometown out here. Could he have a new hometown somewhere near McFadden's on 126th Street? That series that I'm remembering just from out of nowhere, Mets and Cubs out here, was supposed to feature Jacob deGrom. He ended up not pitching because his arm was a little sore. See, we really are right back where we were after all this mess. Josh Lewin with you. So much for going out to see the Australian BGs or RuPaul's Drag Race or whatever ridiculous nonsense I was going to be asked to attend out of here. Uh, I'm now back at the lovely Mandalay Bay Hotel where it's nice and quiet, except for one Yahoo doing a podcast. Uh, it is time to ponder what is next for not only the Mets, but for all the baseball, and let you guys in on as much as I possibly can squeeze in to 20 minutes. Spring training begins as soon as the players can get their butts down there. First spring training game, St. Patrick's Day, also the day March Madness begins, so not exactly having the the floor of the House of Commons to yourself. But hey, it's the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League after it feels like we've all been sitting on a cactus for a while. Actual opening day is now April 7 at Washington. Welcome back to the Beltway, Max Scherzer. Home opener, Friday, April 15, the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's big league debut. That game will be against the Arizona Diamondbacks. All right, well, it's not a traditional division opponent, but all right, tickets are on sale now. Yeah, now at Mets.com. And you can stand by for some news about discounted tickets pretty soon, too. I have to believe the Mets are going to come up with some marketing stuff to basically say, sorry about all this, America. Here's a break on some seats for you. Those details in the works as the Mets celebrate their 60th anniversary all spring and summer. When you go to Mets.com, there's already a link to the 60th anniversary Mets Flex Pack. Lots of cool stuff in that folder for you to look at. Uh, Free Tom Seaver jersey shirt or jersey. Uh, There's some meet and greet, some other fun bonuses, depending on what you get in there. So go to Mets.com. You'll see the big advertising banner right at the top of your screen. We will get to being Mets-centric in short order. But first, let's do a little overall look 
at what this deal actually was and what it means for the players and the owners and the rest of us. The the terms and conditions, so to speak, all the, the three-point font fine print at the bottom of the, the iTunes agreement where you got to check the little box, you never read it. Uh, nine days after Rob Manfred said into every microphone that it just wouldn't be possible to play 162 games. Santa Maria, we will play 162 games apiece after all. So nobody has to haggle about whether the players get a full year's pay or a full season of service time or any of that stuff. Those two series that were canceled a week ago, they're back. And with the season no longer ending on a Sunday this year, uh, that also gives us a potentially epic grand finale of the regular season in prime time on a non-NFL weeknight. I kind of dig that, actually. So, yeah, we're playing 162, and that's by adding that one three-game series to the back end of the season, cramming in the remaining games somewhere along the way, mutual off days, doubleheaders, other assorted hocus-pocus. The playoffs have expanded to 12 teams from 10. The dates of the World Series won't change because they'll play the postseason inside a tighter window in October. With a 12-team playoff system now, it's being reported that MLB will scoop up around $85 million extra a year from ESPN, potentially, by adding that third wildcard team in each league. You're expanding from uh, two games in a wildcard series to as many as 12, if you do the math here, because it's now a best of three in, uh, in both leagues. You got the extra team. And to reach the playoffs... You can say goodbye to those tiebreaker game 163s now. The Bucky Dent game, uh, not a thing anymore. Gone. If you've got a deadlock now, it gets settled with NFL-style tiebreaker formulas, head-to-head records and, and stuff like that. So the wild card round works like this now. First place teams with the two best records in each league get a bye. The remaining division winner plus the wild card with the best record, those two teams are the hosts of these best-of-three series, all the games at that site. So uh, one and two await the winner of three versus six and four versus five. Very NFL-y. If you think back to if this was 2016, the Mets would have hosted a best two out of three series against the Giants, and all that that Connor Gillespie home run would have done was uh, it would have put the, the Mets in a one nothing hole. And, you know, with 12 playoff teams, I would say brace yourself for a very different kind of trading deadline. You'll have more buyers, fewer sellers. There's less incentive for teams that are hovering within contention in mid-July to, to hold those really depressing closeout sales we used to see. On the other hand, uh, this could kind of alter the team-building philosophies of all the loaded big market kind of clubs. I mean, if they pretty much know in January or February that they're good enough to just be in contention in July, do you just sit on what you have knowing you can add whatever pieces you need at the deadline? That's actually a, a topic of major debate right now in the, uh, in the industry. As for competitive balance and parity, well, the union set out to discourage teams from tanking. I'm not sure that's actually been accomplished because originally the union proposed this complicated mathematical formula. wasn't entirely based on one lost record, but it would determine draft order. Uh, owners responded with a, a draft lottery idea of their own. The union said yes to that. They went back and forth. So how many teams get tossed into the lottery pool? How many years in a row should any team be allowed to be part of the lottery? Here's what we got. The owner's first proposal was for just a three-team lottery. The union came back with eight. Everybody settled on six. And it's hard to know exactly how that piece plays out, but 
you know what I, I don't think we'll ever see again is a team like the the 2012 to 2015 Astros picking first or second overall four drafts in a row because this new system will prevent that. A big market team or one that pays into the revenue sharing pool can't get a lottery pick more than one season in a row, period, end of story. A small market team or one that receives money from the revenue sharing pool can't be part of the lottery more than two years in a row. And the highest those teams can pick once they're bounced out of the pool is 10th. But teams don't tank just to get top picks in the draft, I don't really think. Because this is not a sport with a LeBron James or a Giannis or uh, some player who can just walk right in and change everything overnight. That doesn't really happen in baseball. As for service time, let's get to that. Because the, the specter of Chris Bryant kind of hung over all these negotiations right from Jump Street. Because uh, you know, you're addressing service time manipulation. And the players, they wanted a provision that would provide some incentives for teams to elevate a Wander Franco type of talent onto the opening day roster. Don't keep him in the minors just to keep his salary off the books and prevent his big league clock from starting up. So if you want to use Chris Bryant as the example, go back to 2015. The Cubs famously kept him in the minors the first 12 days of the season, delayed his eligibility for free agency until basically now. And it worked out really well for the Cubs because Bryant went on to be National League Rookie of the Year. Cubs got to keep him around for an extra season. But that's not what would happen if the next Chris Bryant follows that same scenario. This new service time reward system Anytime a player finishes first or second in rookie of the year voting, they get a full year of service time no matter when he started the season. So if your team employs a young star and understands exactly how cool and impressive he is, the thinking might be that, all right, let's just bring him north, have him around all year and see what happens, which is really what's supposed to happen anyway. So that was kind of what the union was after here, getting young pairs or players paid. And I think of all the players' gains in this agreement, probably the most impactful one is this new $50 million bonus pool that gets paid out annually. It gets divvied up to the 100 best young players who didn't qualify for arbitration. $50 million, you divide this into two groups, and the biggest dollars go to the players who have like the Vlad Guerrero seasons. And it's all based on award voting, so there's a lot of pressure now on reporters to get this right. And hopefully no nonsense that goes down. Hey, you know, do me a solid and, and give me a first place vote. I'll make it worth your while, wink, wink. The, uh, the remaining dollars that are spread out from there, they're based on wins above replacement formulas. That's all still being crafted right now. So the stats geeks now have something to do with all this. As for the old CBT talk, the competitive balance tax, well, for weeks, this was kind of the, the thorniest problem that the two sides had to solve they finally figured it out. MLB bumped the first tax threshold to $230 million. That's well above where the owners had set the bar before that, so good for them. They agreed to keep tax rates the same as in previous labor agreements here. They have been pushing for weeks for much higher penalties. The only major wrinkle that was brought in, there's this new fourth tier of taxing the owners, and they're already calling it the Steve Cohen tax because that's pretty much what it is. It's set at $60 million above whatever the initial threshold is. So uh, that would be $290 million is that ceiling for this year. 
And that answers the, the small market owner's most burning question, which is how do you discourage certain multi-billionaires from pushing into a portion of the payroll stratosphere that they don't want to approach themselves? If you tax Steve Cohen, if he dares to spend his own money to make the bets better, that apparently is your answer. So after the smoke clears away from this smoldering brush fire that we've all been witnesses to, the good news for players, they did negotiate a huge jump here. They went from that $210 million thing in the old deal in terms of the CBT to 230 The bad news is tax rates remain the same once teams get over those thresholds. So honestly, it's kind of hard to see how all of this puts the competitive balance into the competitive balance tax because teams that weren't spending money before still don't really have that much incentive to spend now. It seems that all this really does is just possibly increase the disparity of payroll. Or in other words, just because the, the Philadelphia Phillies might go up $10 million doesn't mean a team like the A's will just suddenly decide to go up by $10 million in salary. By the way, those two teams, the Phillies and the A's, they're going to open the season against each other now in Philly, where the A's began as a franchise more than 100 years ago. What else? What else for you here? Oh, the international draft flare-up that showed up and threatened to faceplant this whole negotiation right at the finish line. MLB and the Players Association found a consensus. July 25th is the deadline to figure out how to get an international draft established. It'll begin in 2024, not 2023. So that clears a hurdle here. The international draft, though, that is a big talking point for the the next several months. So at the end of all this back and forth, the owners got the expanded postseason format. They preserved the the basic economic structures that had kind of loomed over the past couple negotiations here. They've got some more leeway to change the on-field rules. So you can say the owners probably got a win here. And, And the players received a couple of mechanisms to get more money to younger players, and that's something they were holding out for. A lot of players are still free agents. They will not be for long. Gentlemen, start your checkbooks here. Could be 60, 70 free agents that sign major league contracts in the next seven or 10 days. Scores more will sign minor league deals. You got Carlos Correa and Freddie Freeman, uh, a, a tier after that with Chris Bryant, Trevor Story, Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber. Is that Granke, Kenley Jansen, Clayton Kershaw? There's going to be tons of trades as well. Remember, all the trade talk had to be put on ice during the lockouts. But there's been groundwork done. Watch the Oakland A's. They're expected to make a lot of moves. Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, some pitchers that are not named Matt, uh, Chris Bassett, Sean Manea, Frankie Montas could be available. Just trying to think what else I'm missing here. Oh, functionally, we should mention double headers. We'll return to nine inning games now, not seven. And extra innings will no longer start with the runner at second base. I think that's good news there. Also going forward, this is interesting. Starting next year, Rob Manfred says there will be a more balanced schedule. Every team plays at least one series against all the other 29 major league teams. Very NBA-like. Also starting next year, speaking of the NBA, uniforms can feature advertising patches, and there can be decals on batting helmets. And before you roll your eyes and say how very NASCAR, again, I direct you to the NBA game. Corporate logos are right there near the armpits. All right, on to the Mets now and where they go from here. Not that I meant to use the word armpits as a segue, but let's do it.
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. All right, so the Mets' five-year playoff drought right now is the third longest in the National League. Tim Britton of The Athletic pointed out every National League team outside the state of Pennsylvania has made the postseason since the Mets were last there in 2016. They're working on it because already this offseason, all kinds of churn and turnover. Just to recap, after they finished 77 and 85, they fired the acting general manager, Zach Scott. They set out to hire a president of baseball operations for a second straight year. They settled for a GM, Billy Epler. And Billy Epler hired Buck Showalter to manage. Roster-wise, the Mets added four players in a four-day stretch right after Thanksgiving and right before the start of the lockout. Escobar, Canna, Marte, and of course Scherzer. The Scherzer deal was a headliner. His contract, the, the largest annual average value in the history of the sport. He's going to earn $43 bucks this year. He's going to team with DeGrom to form a 1-2 duo with as much whiz-bang whoop-de-doo as any in the recent history of, of the sport. But don't look the, overlook the value of those other three guys we mentioned. Marte coming off one of his best seasons, split between Oakland and Miami. Uh, no team, you can argue, can use the services of a great base runner more than the Mets. Escobar uh, is a decent base runner. He's not what Marte is, but Escobar is good at that. He brings a lot of power for someone of his size, some defensive versatility. Canna has been one of the game's most underrated players of late, and he's reportedly a hell of a guy. So we say hello to those new faces and goodbye to some, too. Remember Noah Syndergaard and Aaron Loop both signed with the Angels. Marcus Stroman headed off to the Cubs. Javier Baez to Detroit. We know Scherzer has strengthened the top end of the rotation. Mets still, I would say, need more depth. You don't want to have that string of TBDs. Uh, listed as starters like we did all last August and September. Tyler McGill and David Peterson were encouraging at times last year, but they should really be viewed as depth and not key pieces at this point. So I think you, you got to add one more established starter. Uh, the bullpen is fairly thin at the moment. They, they do return Edwin Diaz, Seth Lugo, Trevor May, Miguel Castro, but nobody beyond that really has an established big league track record. No lefty relievers on the 40-man roster, so I think a couple of those could be coming in. So to sum it up personnel-wise, I think the question is, do you add another high-risk, high-reward starter for the rotation, like a Carlos Rodon or something like that? Do the Mets make a play for one more big bat, like Bryant or Schwarber? Uh, the Mets could look to the trade market. We mentioned Oakland's looking to trade. I think Cincinnati will be, too. Cincinnati could listen to a deal for Luis Castillo. Uh, a deal with the Reds could also include some payroll relief for those guys. The Mets could take back a player like Mike Moustakis or a Eugenio Suarez just to add some more depth. So, I don't know. I, I just want to say at the end here, it is really, really, really fun to be talking about hot stove kind of stuff again, isn't it? I mean, finally, because there's only so much wordle that a guy can, can play to kill time. I think we would all agree on that. All right, we've come to the blessed end, but now I, I think I can say without being weird about it, we've only just begun. I mean, this stuff is going to get fun fast. 
And after 100 days of dorking around, here we go. And let's thank the Mets in the Morning House Band before we're out of here for good. We always do that at the end. Let's say to our keyboard player, Kevin Mitchell, thank you very, very much. We thank the guy slapping the bass. That's Mark Carrion. The horn section was Blas Minor. And on drums, boy, what a nice job he did to Pedro Astacio. This is Josh Lewin from Vegas. Yeah, of all places. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope that sheds some light on what's going on. Welcome back, everybody. And again, the new home opener, April 15th, Arizona Diamondbacks. See you there. Take care. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.